so lovely to see all of you here today. We've been talking, um, uh, this is our year of abundance, and we're talking about abundance in all its forms all this year. The first month, we used um, the words of the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu in their book about joy, called The Book of Joy, interestingly enough. And they talked about several pillars of joy. So joy is a byproduct of what we do to set up the field of joy, and then it happens to us. In February, we've been talking about love. You know, it's Valentine's Day. It's a good time to do it. And we started last week with the pillars of self-love because I do believe that it is true that if we do not have love for ourselves, we cannot have our hearts open enough to truly love another. And that the ways in which we limit love for ourselves are exactly the same ways that we limit our love for others. The judgments that we place upon ourselves are exactly the judgments that we place upon others. And so when we begin to be kinder to ourselves, we find that we are kinder to the world. And if you think that's not true, what I suggest to you is that has the kindness, because I'm just raising my hand because I'm one of those people, I, want, I just want everybody to be happy and I'm just going to, do good for everybody. I'm a pleaser. I'm going to make you happy with me. Is it true kindness for me to try to find out what you want from me so I can give it to you so you'll be more comfortable so I can fulfill a bargain that's going on in my head that says, if I do it all right, then you have to like me, right? <laughs> so we reach a place where we say, what is true kindness? True kindness... True love for another is about valuing another and ourselves, not just the same, but as the same. Jesus said it in his, it's in, it's in the Ten Commandments, and when the Pharisees were trying to trick him into uh, contradicting himself, and they asked him, so what's really, what's important? What do you think about the commandments? And what he said is that, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's interesting that he says, love God. And the second one's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Which to me says, not as good as yourself or as much as yourself, but as yourself. And it's the same as loving God. And it doesn't matter if you think of God as a being or you think of God as an energy or you think of God as a word that makes you mad. The important thing is that he is saying that to love, to love the wholeness of the universe, to love the one and to love each other and to love ourselves is exactly the same. That's why his teachings were so revolutionary. There's no more an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's the golden rule. And that is found in all major religions, by the way. Uh, Allah said to Muhammad, do not do to others that which you would not like to be done to you, <laughs> which is an interesting twist on do unto others as you would like to have done to you. It's the same, and it's the same in Hinduism, it's the same in Shintoism, it's the same in Zen, it's the same in Buddhism, it's the same across the board. And if 
people tell me that they love God, but they're not kind to their fellow humans, then I will say, you don't even know what God is. Because the way I love God is by loving you. And the way I fail to love God is by failing to love you. And that's what it looks like. That's what love looks like. So, when we're talking about love in relationship this week, went for a, talked a long time about that. We're going to talk about love of spirit next week. But this week we're talking about love in relationship. And that is in personal close relationships, um, in romantic relationships, in friendships, in familial relationships. Y'all, we are all in relationship with one another. I had a boyfriend one time that said, well, this isn't a relationship. And I said, okay, are we using, are we, are we using the, the form of, or, I mean, are, um, never mind. <laughs> you with me, you for me, you at me, you as me, you around me, all of those are prepositions. And a preposition is always about a relationship. If there's a preposition being used, there's a relationship going on. You against me is a relationship. You far away from me is a relationship. So we get to decide what we want our relationships to look like. And we also want to know, many of us want to know, how to attract a healthy relationship. Uh, raise your hand if you've never gotten out of a very horrible relationship and gone, whoo, anybody? Yeah, no. I think maybe an infant might be able to raise its hand, but the rest of us have had those those things that we thought were friendships but ended in betrayal, those things that we thought were good marriages or good partnerships that under the light of day turned out to not be partnerships after all, and therefore not a good marriage if you're not really partners in life. So how do we attract a healthy relationship? Well, we get healthy ourselves because healthy people aren't that attractive to people who are totally messed up. <laughs> If you're wondering why you keep dating messed up people, it's probably because you're messed up. Just saying. That's how Bob and I found each other. I'm, <laughs> I'm here to tell you. And we found each other at a time when both of us were working on being more healthy. Both of us were working on our own selves being more healthy. And therefore, the relationship stood a chance. And it's been 31 years, and I'm thinking it may work. <laughs> So, you may be surprised when you reach out in love that many people cannot accept love, that their walls are very high, and they can't take it in. And there's nothing you can do about that but just keep sending love. And at some point, maybe they will feel safe enough to take their walls down. You can see that with an abused animal, that if you consistently always only treat it with kindness. It will come out of its shell. People are animals. That's what we do. But if we treat it with kindness sometimes and then at other times, then no. People respond. Animals respond. We respond to consistency. So that doesn't mean that I'm not volatile. <laughs> It means that I know overall, uh, above all, that love is what I want to do here on this earth. I keep it in the top of my mind. Whether I'm with a 
uh, my partner or with a friend or on the street, on the bus. So what are friends? Let's go for that first because good partnerships are made out of good friends anyway. And not everybody's meant to be matched up. It's kind of the way the world does, but it's not necessarily the only way. I regret that we have a culture that says, that seems to give us messages of that, that you're not okay if you're alone. Well, I'll tell you what, you're not okay if you're alone. But that doesn't mean you have to be partnered up with another individual. We all need friends. We all need community. That's what we provide here. That's what we do in our, in our other relationships. So what is a friend? What does a friend do? A friend will extend themselves for your good. Will do something inconvenient or that they don't really necessarily want to do or that causes them to stretch because they believe it will be for your good. By the way, that works for you too. Are you willing to extend yourself for someone else's good? Are you only their friend when everything's just fine and going your way? Because if you have a friend and you've never had to forgive them for anything, I would say they probably aren't that close, a friend. <laughs> because we need forgiveness all the time. I know I do. A friend, though, does not continually push your boundaries if you say no, a friend will listen to your no. Can I say that again? If you say no, a true friend will listen to your no. I'm going to put a caveat on that, though, because sometimes you have to train people because they're used to just pushing boundaries, and sometimes you just have to say no really, really consistently. This is one of my favorite stories because it is something that I point to as a, an absolute mirror, uh, miracle in my life. My father, and I've shared this before, was an alcoholic, army colonel, pilot, Church of Christ preacher, alcoholic. <laughs> so just think about all of those things and know that my growing up years were interesting. I thought my whole life that the most important thing to my father was to prove he was right about anything, about how you hold a knife, about how you use the English language, about how you pet a dog, how you vote. Did, there was nothing he didn't have an opinion on, and his opinion was actually right. And everything else was just the way the stupid people do it. And so I spent a lot of my life trying very, very hard to not be one of the stupid people. I was terrified of that. And at some point, I got healthy enough to say, Daddy, I don't agree with you, and I'm not going to fight with you about it. <laughs> it took a lot of courage to do that, to say, I don't, I'm, I don't agree with you, and I don't plan to change your mind, and so we won't talk about this. Let's change the subject. And it took me a while to train my dad not that long, though. It was surprising. So he kept on. The first time I did this, he just kept on with his argument. And it's like, well, people can't argue with you if you don't argue back. I'm just saying. And so I walked into the other room. I walked into the kitchen where my mom was. And he followed me in there and kept up. And I said, I'm not talking to you about this. And he kept on. 
And I said, I love you. Bye-bye. I'll see y'all in a week or so. And I got in my car and I drove off because I had decided not to tell my dad that he was wrong or that he couldn't do that to me, blah, blah, blah. I had decided that I would not participate. And the moment I didn't participate, there was no fight anymore. And after about the third time that I said, I'm not going to talk about that with you, and I was getting ready to go home again because that's the way it had worked, he said, okay, and changed the subject. So the miracle I got in my life was to learn in my probably late 30s, mid 30s, um, to learn that my father actually valued my company. He valued me staying there more than his being right. I mean, he would prefer to have both. <laughs> but I wouldn't give him that option. And when he was faced with, okay, she's going to leave if I keep on with this, how important it is, to, is it to me, then he decided that my staying was more important to him. And it doesn't always turn out that way. But I tell you what it does, if he had never done that, I still would have been standing up for myself. I still would have not been sitting and letting myself be abused for long periods of time. And I would be assuring that whatever time with my dad, no matter how short it was, was pleasant time. And the moment it got unpleasant, I wasn't there anymore. So either way, having boundaries is what makes us healthy. And other people who love you will respect your boundaries. People who love you will respect your boundaries. It may take some training. The moment somebody says, nah, I'm going to still do it, doesn't mean, don't go, oh, well, you're not really my friend. Train them. And the only way you do that is you don't tell them at all what to do. You just tell them what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I love you enough to not let you be a jerk to me. Something the Dalai Lama talks about a lot is that when we forgive, when we are kind to someone who is doing wrong, and when we refuse to stand there and let someone do wrong to us, we are not just protecting ourselves, we are protecting them from themselves. Nobody wants to stand there and be their worst self. They don't realize they're doing it. And so by not participating, you are kind of saving them from having to play it all out that you get on that I'm on my worst self road and it's really hard to get off. And when someone gives you an exit, whew, it can feel really, really good. It can feel really, really good. So that's friendship. Friends don't push your boundaries when, they, when you are clear with them and you have spent time reinforcing them. And if you're gonna be a friend, you don't push another's boundaries. When they say no, well, you know, it's kind of a big thing in society today that no means no. It seems obvious, but many, many people don't know it. And so when you push somebody on a no, it's disrespectful, and that's not friends. Friends want your good. They want what's good for you no matter how it affects them. So I want what's good for you no matter how it affects me. In other words, I may love you and want you to be with me, but I find out that you have an opportunity to do something that fulfills you in a different place from where I am or in a different way from what I can be with. I can love you enough 
to allow you to do what's good for you and to support you in that. And to support you in that. And I expect the same from my friends, that they want what's best for me. They want what's best for me. And if somebody is wanting you to do what's best for them only all the time, I suggest you take a look at that and see where your boundary needs to be. Friends respect themselves in relationship. They don't let you trample all over them in just the way that you don't want to trample on them because you don't want to be their your, you don't want them to be their worst selves. You also don't let them make you be trampled down, make you hide, make you be not your true self. They respect themselves, they respect you. I respect myself, I respect you. And it's all about balance. Friendships are a balance. Relationships are a balance. Boy, is our relationship a balance. And sometimes the relationship is a balance by being on a seesaw <laughs> and occasionally passing center. Oop, we're balanced. Oh, no, yeah, we are. And that's okay. As long as one person's not sitting on the end and leaving the other one in the air for long periods of time. A lot of times balance looks like this. It doesn't look like this because we're human and it's hard to do. But there are times when a friend has greater need and so you do extend yourself more for them. And that works as long as when you're in greater need, they will also extend themselves for you. And this is not about making people bad or wrong or blaming them. This is about looking at the truth of what your relationship is. Is it healthy? Is it good? Is it in balance? Is this real love or is this some form of manipulation? Whether it has a smile that goes with it or not. Friends, listen. Friends, listen. Thich Nhat Hanh, a very beautiful Buddhist monk from Vietnam who, has, who grew up in horrible war and, is, and spent his whole life trying to share peace with people and bring them to their inner peace, says, here's the dialogue for a loving relationship. First you say, I am here. I'm here. I will listen to you. I see you. I see you and I am here for you. And then you say, I want to be seen. Will you listen to me? Because when you allow another that intimacy of seeing into your pain, into your problems, into a truth that you feel ashamed to show to the world, that is intimacy. That is intimacy. I've heard people describe that as into me see. I let you see into me. And if you're in a relationship where you always have to have your makeup on and wear your best dress and act right all the time, then um, I suggest that's not an intimate relationship. It's something you might want to look at. Friends give friends the benefit of the doubt. In relationships, the benefit of the doubt, I saw this NPR show a few years ago that was, they interviewed couples who had been married more than 50 years and who self, um, 
suggested that they were in happy relationships. They didn't interview the ones that said, yeah, I've been married for 50 years and I can't wait till it's over. <laughs> the ones that self-reported that they were very happy and that they had very good marriages and they interviewed them and they found one commonality in every single one of them. Although they behaved in different ways, the common thing was that each one assumed that the other had their good at heart. Benefit of the doubt. I see you not acting the best way, but I'm going to assume that's not because you hate me, but just because you're having a bad day. That seems silly, but how many times do we go, oh, I can't believe you said that to me. You know, I've said some things that I can't believe I said. <laughs> so rather than immediately taking it as something against me, I can say, oh, I see you're not in your best self right now. Are you hungry? <laughs> we say that in my family. Are you hungry? Are you having a bad day? Is there something I can do to help? Or sometimes the way I can help is to just get out of the way so that they don't have anybody to be mean to and they don't have to be mean themselves. But we give each other the benefit of the doubt. If somebody is jumping on your every mistake as building a case or proving something against you, that is not friendship. And if you are doing the same, that is not friendship. Assume the best. Forgive. Friends, forgive each other. Because if we're going to be intimate, if we're going to let each, let each other see the truth, the deepest parts of each other, it's not always going to be pretty. And so there will be much to forgive. Friends love you through your mistakes. They don't indict you and throw you in jail through your mistakes. They love you through them. Now, loving you through them doesn't mean always agreeing with you if you're doing something wrong. Loving through your mis someone through their mistake might be saying out loud, you know, that's a big mistake. I love you too much to let yourself reason that it wasn't your fault and that someone else is to blame. I will ask you to look at what your part is. And that is hard to do. And that is true friendship. And I hope that my friends do the same thing. If I start casting blame out there, I need somebody to say, mm, let's see now, what did you do though that kind of created that situation? Friends are there. They're imperfect and they're worthy of forgiveness. We are imperfect and worthy of forgiveness. We do not take each other for granted. So as we uh, go into our meditation today, what I want to do is to lead you to a place of looking at someone in a different way. There's a song that I wrote a few years ago with um, J.D. Martin called For the First Time Again. And it's about seeing someone that you've seen over and over and over again, but allowing yourself to have new eyes. Whether that be your friendship, whether that be your mother or your son or your cousin or your partner. Allow yourself to see with new eyes and that will keep you from taking them for granted. I also feel like I would be in neglect today if I did not talk about our relationships 
with those who have already passed on. There's been a lot of loss in this community in the past few years, just since I've been here, an incredible amount of loss. And we have held each other and sustained each other through it, and we're still doing that because the grieving is not over. So first, I want to read this poem by Judah Halevi, or uh, also called Emmanuel of Rome, written in the 12th century. For those who have died, tis a fearful thing to love what death can touch. To love, to hope, to dream, and ah, to lose. A thing for fools, this love, but a holy thing, to love what death can touch. For your life has lived in me. Your laugh once lifted me. Your word was a gift to me. To remember this brings painful joy. Tis a human thing, love, a holy thing, to love what death can touch. So the last thing I want to say is true friends, people in a true loving relationship with, will not withhold their love because they're afraid of losing you. And when someone has already passed on, we love them by not withholding our grief. The people we love deserve to be grieved over. We deserve to feel our feelings. And that is how grief becomes joy, or even if it's this painful joy that the poet speaks of. Our grief becomes joy when we allow ourselves to feel all of the really not good feelings, which cleans us out to start to remember and feel the good feelings. My dad's been dead for over nine years, and it seems like every day I remember something fun or funny or hear his voice in my, se in my head giving me joy. And after nine years of weeping, there's much more joy than there is pain. I lost my mother less than a year ago, and I'm just beginning to see glimpses of the joy and remember her as she was before her dementia. And I look forward as I continue to grieve her, her death and also the other death, the living death that was her dementia for many years. I look forward to, as I grieve her, remembering more and more and more of the joy and the good things. We get to do that because we are here to love. We are here to love. If you are trying to live your life in a way that will save you from having to feel terrible things, you are causing yourself to live a half-life. I know that doesn't sound very positive, but it actually is. To the gift of love is connection. The gift of love is not being alone. The gift of love is intimacy. The price of love is grief because everything in this world is impermanent. You know, I tell people, and I know Jay just lost his beautiful, beautiful dog yesterday. And Lord, that brings up every pet that I've ever lost. And when we take in a pet, we make a contract with ourselves. I'm going to love this thing whose lifespan is shorter than mine, which means from day one, we decide that we're going to lose them, but that doesn't keep us from loving them.
And that's the way we need to be with people because everybody dies. Everybody dies. And love is present all the way through it, every moment that we let it be. Just going to take our meditation, um, make it short today. So just take a deep breath and be where you are. Whatever worries and cares you've brought into this room, just tell them that right now, right here, you are just going to be and you can greet them later as you leave. And as you continue to just breathe and be aware of the breath, let it take you to the present moment. You don't have to breathe any special way or do any special thing. Just breathe and notice your breathing, which is what we forget to do. This life-sustaining breath is a gift to us in every moment, and we rarely even remember it. It comes to us whether we ask for it to or not. It comes to us as a free gift. And so I invite you in this moment to think of some relationship in your life. A partner, a friend, maybe someone who's passed on. Picture that person in your mind's eye and allow yourself to ask the question, what would it be like if I saw you for the first time again? And if what comes up is grief for loss, that's okay. But I also invite you to allow the joy to come through because you are. You made a choice at some point for this relationship, that it was something that you wanted. And there are all kinds of reasons for that. There are all kinds of gifts that come with it. And so I invite you to open the package and investigate the gift. You may find that the things that drive you most crazy are the things you would most wish miss and wish you had back if they were gone. And allow yourself to just say thank you. 
Thank you for being one in my life who keeps me from being alone. And allow yourself to say, I am here for you. I see you. And breathe into that. Now allow yourself to say, I see that you are here for me, that you have been here for me, that you continue in some way to be here for me. And allow yourself to remember and appreciate Thank you for being here for me. And then simply say to yourself, because I knew you, because I know you, because I love you, my experience of myself is expanded. Feel the gratitude of that. Know that you can get some of the best advice from people who aren't even around anymore because you knew them so well that you know what they'd say or do. Know that love is present in every situation that you are willing to bring love to. And be assured that love is drawn to love when we are willing to love, to be in love, to share our love. We are never truly alone. And so it is. Amen. <laughs>